0: This episode is brought to you by Happy Mess.
1: Happy Mess, the kids' art place. Yeah, they do art classes and sensory play and after-school programs and in-school classes and birthday parties and camps.
0: And adult events. Buy tickets to our next paint night or book your own for your next occasion or staff party.
1: Check it out at www.happymess.net. What's www? World Wide Web.
2: This episode is brought to you by ServiceMaster Sea to Sky. A home is more than just a house, and an office is more than just a place to work. ServiceMaster is here to offer a home and business services when you need them the most. ServiceMaster handles water, flood, fire, and reconstruction services. We take on jobs big and small. There's no project we haven't seen before. ServiceMaster, the complete customer experience. Call us at 604-938-0822 or on the web, smc2sky.com. That's smc2sky.com. Service master, sky, restoring peace of
0: mind. This is the Sea Sky podcast, weaving through the issues in Sea Sky country. We're talking to Eric Anderson, uh, current counselor and up for re-election, Mr. Eric Anderson. Thank you very much for joining us in the Podshed. We are two-thirds of Where You At Buds, Stephen and Marcus, and we're bringing back the Sea to Sky podcast uh, just to cover the elections, and uh, Mr. Anderson is our our first victim to be in the Podshed with us to take our questions and talk about the big issues of the day. Uh, And you brought it up. Densification, I think, is the number one issue I think everyone is thinking about and, and chatting about. We've been talking about the same issues, I think, even from the last election this election so do you feel like something has changed over the the narrative over the course last four years of because it just seems like the same questions are popping up it just seems to be louder on the internet
1: i actually think in our growth management conversation here in squamish we need to go back earlier we need to go back to 2005 and the olympics bid and our excitement over it and the real estate industry's excitement over the future for Squamish, and uh, the local ex- excitement here involved uh, new brownfield lands that could be claimed. I would, in some cases, might use stronger language like poached for housing development, and and in all cases by outside investors, uh, which which was the case in the beginning. That doesn't include the ocean front in that aspect of it, but. So we had a major turnover in district staff and council at the end of 2002 and into 2003 when all sorts of planning opportunities and challenges came forward. And some of those were complicated by closures of industry, sale of BC Rail, highway upgrade, big stuff happening. But all around growth management and we've only now we can we put together the pieces as to how that unfolded and how prepared or unprepared we were or the good planning or the or the less good planning that we've done over that time and it does go back that far the high rises the mid-rises if you like that are downtown uh large uh, multi-unit uh, complexes these are mainly the product of decisions made between 2004 and 2008 mostly 2004 and 2005 as the not the last OC but the one before that was taking shape that's my uh, experience in returning to Squamish I jumped into it around that time Uh, so we do have to have a time perspective and see for the future where we went wrong, where we should have done planning differently, where we, uh, we've we got uh, six and a half thousand people planned to be lived on the oceanfront, and that's been a concept going back several years. But did we plan for road access to that peninsula? Well, right now, we don't know how exactly and when we're going to pay for that second access. Um, these kinds of things come up choices that are made and perhaps we need to be we're going to learn how to bring all those uh, strands together in doing good planning and we are getting better at it i hope we talked to the to the density and it kind of lends
2: itself to the affordability piece because that's another big big piece in this election that marcus and i are talking to um, is the density and the affordability of living in Squamish. How does that tie in for you and on your platform with with respect to the planning, with respect to that density
1: in the building? The first thing that occurs to me is that we should be talking about housing affordability holistically and be disciplined about that. It has to be discussed together with transportation, transit if you like, and jobs and the the picture is varied but i don't think we can talk about the lack of affordability and who is impacted is lower income workers and especially in the hospitality and accommodation trades, other trades that require a workforce that isn't going to be able to pay a lot for accommodation. So we have a whole sector of our economy and an important one that's impacted by that. And that's an example of we need to be able to link the issues of employment and affordability. And in some cases, we, we need to consider also how these folks are going to get to work. The place that employ there's two places that employ a total of 150 people at Chikai we have no transit there one of those businesses that Chikai is struggling to create housing for its employees the neighbor one is going into automation because they can't find employees that can afford to live in Squamish and they don't have transit to get out there to the mill so these things need to be looked at together and I think that we will actually be spinning wheels in policy making and decision making unless we look at that holistically Yeah, my thoughts offhand. We needed to always be thinking about housing affordability in an integrated, holistic way.
0: So how do you gain that? You have to build housing, talk to transit. You make it sound like it's been a a prevailing problem and that's something we need to look at because we're missing the bigger picture in terms of planning. I know your position is not mayor,
1: but you're a councillor. How can you use your position to make those changes? I think that one of the opportunities that we have as a small town with a similar dilemma, set of dilemmas as so many small towns close to the urban fringe of the Lower Mainland, but many small towns in BC, not maybe not Fort Nelson, but in the Okanagan, South Island, we all share these housing affordability concerns. We share concerns about how to pay for regional transit or local transit. I think that what we can do is work better together in advocacy towards provincial and senior governments. And one of the things I think we need is new provincial level planning legislation. And because we're all suffering these growth management areas in key corridors or regions of the province, and I don't think we have the tools we need at a regional level to accommodate them. We are speaking about housing with Minister Eby, and we're speaking about transportation with another minister in Victoria, but are we getting everybody together? I think where our planning legislation at a regional level and has to come from the province is going to have to put those um, uh, together in terms of expectations. That is, we should discourage new residential development on a large scale in a place that hasn't got local jobs or that doesn't have transit there. They do this across the border in Washington state and they do it because the I-5 corridor is horribly congested. And they've got environmental issues and farmland protection issues. So they've advanced their smart growth planning legislation better than ours. And I think we do need to think regionally and work together among communities to solve our problems, which need tools that the province can give us
0: these are tools that only the province can give you these are nothing that you can sort. we can sort of fix on our own at this point or i'm not asking you to criticize well yeah okay criticize your record (laughs) criticize the last four years and what we could have done better to to perhaps gain these tools because i mean again these issues are not new we've been we've been talking about this for a while so in the last four years have we gained any way of getting these new tools except for you know we need to
1: ask the government for them I think you opened, Marcus, in reminding me that I'm a councillor, not a mayor. You know, one thing I've learned in the last four years is how can I use that role? And one way is to, and it's an especially easy and good one to take part in, is advocacy vis-a-vis the province. So that's where I got started on my, on my rant. But here in Squamish, with respect to growth management and affordability, I think there's a lot of experience and uh, testimonials, feedback from the public that we can do even better to receive and from employers, uh, people affected. I think that sometimes we all of a sudden one day we had 15 people in the council audience. These are people who lived in vans we never knew about these people before and all of us were surprised to the uh, that they all of a sudden introduced themselves and it was a good thing where where were we and so i guess where i'm going here is that in all of these issues, we need to do a really good job to, to know who's out there that we should be talking to and what they can offer pers- for perspectives. I think we could learn more from the employer community than we do uh, in, in getting their experience and their ideas about solutions. I think that in the past, when we've had affordability issues, large employers have had a role in stepping in, in partnership, uh, to provide housing. And we may be going back there. And that's large employers like healthcare, schools, and so on. You touched a little bit on,
2: on lobbying uh, senior levels of government, whether it be provincial or federal. And Marcus is you know, joking, we don't want you to go back and, and go back on your own record and judge yourself. But do you think... Uh, With respect to planning, seeing that it takes so long for some of these things to come to fruition, that we're doing a good enough job lobbying senior levels of government, whether it's federal or provincial.
1: No, I don't think we are, and I don't think that local government. I think the UBCM is not as effective a forum as it could be, and I know that there's initiatives to improve its capacities and so on. But I contrast it with the BC Chamber of Commerce, which I believe is a is a more effective advocacy tool and the reason is because these people are business people they, they're single-minded about things they know what they want whereas municipi- the municipal world their local governments is political small town political and you have to give everybody their space and that ends up being long long days of resolutions that maybe aren't all that well researched this sort of thing but in short we can do more and we should be with other communities because we are our issues are shared and between in our quarter with Whistler and Pemberton and the North Shore, we can work together to make some some progress on our own too.
2: And is that happening? Are, are we working with our
1: neighbors to the north
2: and to the south to to have an organized, concerted effort in lobbying those senior levels of government for the funding? Are we doing enough? Are we organized enough? Are we collaborating enough with our neighbors? Because like you say, the, the BC Chamber of Commerce and the UBCM I imagine it's a lot of people with a lot of hands out asking what can you do for us or what have you done for us lately?
1: We need to, through the corridor... I think we have a pretty good ongoing relationship, and, and I'm not haven't been at the table at the squamish Little Regional District uh, board meetings, but I think we've had some pretty good leadership there. And I must note that Karen Elliott has been a pretty good spokesperson, uh, has a high capacity in that regard, and and uh, has sits on the BC Transit board. An area that I'm concerned about that all of us share issues, but we're not we don't have the venues and opportunities to work with. The agency called Vancouver Coastal Health. I think that the ability for us, we are united and do share issues, share notes, and so on, and do advocate, but the opportunities to actually sit down with Vancouver Coastal Health on issues particular to this corridor are quite limited. There are some real important changes that the province needs to recognize about our loss of uh, regional autonomy, local autonomy in healthcare planning, not only in, in undertaking, it, but being a part of it. And I would say that this is also true for the school district and a, a regional uh, cause, if you like, that we need, again, I come back to the province, I don't want to be always pointing fingers at the province, and, but I think that there should be better opportunity for us to be working together with healthcare, with education, and these are definitely corridor topics that we can work together well on.
2: With all of this build, I mean, census to census, we are approximately 24% growth. You know, we've talked about the density. We've talked about the housing. The next thing is the infrastructure piece. We've talked about wants versus needs and having those conversations with your children. And and it seems like a lot of the online discourse or debate, especially during this election thus far, has been seemingly pointed towards the infrastructure stuff.
0: Well, there's there's a slate. Three candidates have actually formed a slate talking about, obviously, about the new ice sheet. They're talking about water parks and they're talking about all these other things. But the the district, you guys just announced a project to help with Brendan Park. You get to be the first to announce it on the podcast.
2: Do it before John French does because
1: you know he's going to. <laughs> Yes, we have been successful in receiving a federal grant, and we're not done. We're, we're going after more. Um, I think when we address uh, the topic of infrastructure, we should be careful about our phrasing because there are, within the broad category of infrastructure, sewer and water, and to almost the same degree, waste management. We have funds and mechanisms to keep up with growth, that are different, qualitatively different than some of our other, dealing with some of our other needs. I mean, we have a, a, a robust and uh, disciplined way to address our needs. And this has evolved. We're fairly new at it still uh, for sewer water and I think waste management too. Uh, Waste management is a regional aspect, uh, uh, often a tangent there. Now, my main point here is that we should distinguish between infrastructure and amenities. And I think a lot of the public, when they're concerned about not keeping up, they're not only but uh, to a large degree speaking about amenities recreation brennan park as you've or we've already uh, touched on uh, but also cultural amenities and these are i i wrote a book uh, three years ago on the history of the theater in Squ- community theater in Squamish started in 1965 since 1965 we haven't solved the problem of where they're going to rehearse where they're going to perform where they're going to build sets and store sets we still haven't done yet they come out they soldier on they deliver for us this, this group of, of dedicated people uh, and so many other recreation and culture groups all run by volunteers and they do struggle I work with the Boy Scouts and their storage issues and they're all over these issues so culture and recreation uh, I think this is a category where we need to do better to highlight them distinguish them from other infrastructure issues and and address them and I feel that the number one thing that we have not been doing is planning for our ongoing and future needs in both those areas of recreation and culture and I might add that that includes the waterfront How do we get access to the water for watercraft, paddlers, recreational boats, and more? This is an aspect of our recreational amenities, if you like, and it is infrastructure as well, that we have not made a plan for. There was a staff report in 2008 that suggested we need a plan, and we're only now in the middle of, of, of struggling through that plan. In the case of cultural facilities... We had an arts, cultural, and heritage strategy endorsed by council two years ago, and it said, and a majority council vote, <laughs> councillor French and I were a little bit concerned, uh, Councillor Stoner to some extent too, that the plan was not to start planning for another seven to ten years, which is now uh, five to eight years, if you like, but that doesn't make sense, because we need to be prepared for the opportunities. Yes, we don't have the money for this. We, we have to apply for those grants. We haven't got the tax tax deal yet uh, from big industry and uh, we hope to attract other taxpayers commercial business taxpayers to the town we're we're struggling there with where the money's going to come from but we have to have the planning ready and we have not been doing that to the extent we should and i think that this could be a a good opportunity for engagement to on stuff so important to all ages in the community is that type of amenity infrastructure
2: that kind of lends to the consultants too as well Consultants play a big role in preparing those documents that land those grants from senior levels of government, whether it's federal or provincial. What's your thoughts with respect to consultant reviews and hiring of consultants? Are we doing too Much too little? Are we spending more than we, we probably should be? What's your thoughts on that?
1: Here, we probably might include uh, engineering companies because for a lot of our, our engineering, like diking, w- water treatment, and so on, we are relying on engineering firms. However, I'm going to start with another example. We have been trying to assist in the supply of daycare facilities here in Squamish, and for that task, we have engaged an architectural firm. And the same architectural firm is now working with the Squamish Arts Council on trying to put together a plan for our cultural facility needs ongoing and into the future. Your question is welcome to me because it brought to mind how valuable it can be to have some real bona fide expertise. And expertise that's traveled around the province and that can bring a lot to the table. Now I'm going to refer to engineering companies. I think sometimes uh, in some of these consulting exercises, I would point to parking, downtown parking studies, some aspects of our waste infrastructure. We have a little bit of a case of going back to maybe we should blow it open a little bit and uh, involve not only other sources of expertise, but other kinds of expertise, maybe an architect Maybe a developer should have been part of that parking strategy uh, consultation, not just an engineering firm. We know what engineers are good for and we should use them for what they're good for. But there's social dimensions, there's new things unfolding always. So in our use of consultants, we can be kind of set in our ways. And I do think this happens now and then. We can be set in our ways in a pattern of how we use consultants. But I've recently seen how valuable that could be when we have some really useful expertise, for example, from an architectural firm on on daycare and cultural facilities.
0: Is it feasible or do we have land to build a parking structure? Is a parking structure needed? Is that something that we're looking to, especially since that new project, I believe on third, that's another huge building going in there. And it's only one parking spot per unit when you know more people live per unit and they have to go outside travel for work.
1: I'm concerned that we're not um, we're in denial about the potential need for a, a say a two two plus story parking facility because the land is scarce and it's not like back in 20, you know during the depths of the recession, we could have picked up one of those lots the district could have. I'm concerned because we're being distracted by I- ideological debates that aren't starting with the downtown. We're importing philosophies and visions from elsewhere. They may be valid, but I believe they are distracting us from our responsibility to pay attention to needs that aren't going away. I mean, seniors, all the clinics downtown, Our continued vision for downtown is a place for tourists to visit. And we're not uh, rounding out in our discussions of the parking issues downtown, whether or not we have parking issues or to what extent and how to deal with congestion. We need to bring all of the symptoms together and look clearly at this, and not be distracted by great visions. But they're holding us back from making plans that that we, may be very important because of the scarcity of land, and also because we need to be mindful of the opportunities that may arise in negotiation with proponents of new developments. And this may be a solution. Well, it will always be part of the parking solution is what they can integrate in their developments and how this fits into our policy and how our policy needs to adapt and respond to that i am one and i won't be shy about it i do believe we have a parking congestion problem in downtown and it's fine to look at the margins of the downtown and say look at this empty lot here well actually if you see how things are going to unfold that's going to disappear too so i think that we cannot be distracted by vision that can be risky we need to be practical and we need to have All of the stakeholders and um, people affected, seniors, post office clientele, clinics clientele, people with mobility challenges, we need them at the table to advise us.
0: How close are we to getting a second access into downtown?
1: The second access, uh, there's been studies of what routing it should take. And the one that is presently proposed is probably the only one feasible due to land ownership and topography. And we're not going to build a freeway through this Duomas Reserve or the Statmas Village. But uh, so we're looking at Pemberton crossing between Pemberton and Laurelwood. Now this first came up and was brought to the attention of the Minister of Transportation in 2008. And uh, at the time the Minister came back and said, we don't build driveways to condo developments. That was an important lesson. We need to be careful in understanding how we're, not only what what it's good for, but to present it properly as to how badly that's needed as in our emergency planning public safety, if you like, but also the fact that we continue to have waterfront industry downtown, and we always will will be having that. That's not expendable, Squamish terminals and other facilities. Our challenge is to present the case to senior governments, to advance the thing. We we can wait and, and build up over time a reserve and DCC funds, development cost charges to pay for that bridge, but that's, I think, too far away. We need it closer and we need to present an argument that is the full picture of what it's needed needed for and that will include commercial transportation we need to make that clear to the to the province and i think sometimes over the last 20 years squamish has been in denial that it is a waterfront industry town but it always will be there's only three places in Canada where you have railway to the coast and highway to the coast. And that will be part of how we can draw money in from stakeholders, including senior governments, to deliver that second access across the channel in not of downtown.
0: Next up, I guess, would be the densification in the Garibaldi Estates.
1: I was reading a comment the other day that said, Wilson Crescent isn't Dentville and Hospital Hill is not Valleycliffe. Please get it straight, the newspaper or the planning department. Well, i have to say the same about the Garibaldi Estates. When we use that phrasing, we need to be uh, aware of the diverse landscape of the Garibaldi Estates. And when we set out the boundaries for the planning exercise, we included everything from the funeral chapel on Chequemus uh, all the way through, including out to the golf club and uh, VLA. And there's very distinct uh, patterns of uh, real estate in that area uh, that is lot sizes and all this sort of thing. And then across the highway, we have a large set of complexes of multi-unit housing, and we didn't include those. So we have this landscape that we need to be careful of its diversity, but with respect to the Veterans Lands uh, Act subdivision, I am not sympathetic to a heavy-handed approach to repealing the VLA bylaw. In fact, I would go back to the process that was in place in 1966 when the most recent VLA bylaw was put in place and that is a strong participatory uh, process with the uh, neighborhood uh, uh, property owners. I think that there is opportunity to enhance commercial nodes and with multi-unit Um, residential development allowing this in new zoning in Garibaldi Estates. In the VLA, I'm not too concerned to be heavy-handed there. I think that we have much bigger issues in the community to address. Planning issues, zoning issues, neighborhood planning, you know, land use and zoning issues elsewhere that are more important than a big community fight with uh, one neighborhood. However, it looks to be attractive on the map to the professional planner that it's right next to uh, you know the highway transit and a shopping center hold on now life is complicated the landscape is complicated and how much political capital are we going to invest in a what would be a very politically sensitive heavy-handed approach i'm not in favor of a heavy-handed approach so
0: that's a no okay good
1: All right, <laughs>
0: and uh, what was the other one we talked about? Oh, yeah, gas. Gas is that is that going to be? I think we talked about gas last time we we chatted. Well, when I chatted with you four years ago, when you first ran for council, is that going to happen?
1: Gas being Garibaldi at Squamish, which uh, started in 1958 <laughs> with Mister. Eddie Bauer from West Vancouver, who had a vision for the mountain, and other people since have come along with visions for the mountain. I think that we cannot overlook that there will be a vision for Ridge And I think that different political parties and in government in, in Victoria have thought so too. And they do call the shots. And there have been more or less aggressive approaches from Victoria about this. And that's where we landed right now. We've had a fairly aggressive pl- idea in succeeding social credit and NDP administrations that there should be a big development up there, a ski development. Well, where I'm going here is that we need to, as the District of Squamish, we need to recognize that that mountain is not going to be the reserve of those who presently use it at this time. We have too many outdoor recreation pressures. I think that we're going to have to hopefully be in a place to have a development that's in, in scale and purpose that fits Squamish. I don't see that at this time in the proposals at the table. They're having difficulty with the regional government as well as with the District of Squamish in uh, how to take next steps. And uh, so I don't think anything's gonna unfold there very quickly. I would hope that uh, the owners must recognize that uh, there simply will be not be the appetite to do something that's just out of step with Squamish. And I would include the Squamish Nation. I don't, of course, speak on their behalf, but their community also has that hope that what will evolve there fits their vision and their needs as well and their outdoor recreation uh, facility ambitions.
0: But if it does come to a level where, you know, they accept it and Squamish seems like, okay, we can, there is potential there and maybe we should be extending services to, to gas point where you are happy with the situation. Now, does that become a referendum question or would you just say, yeah, let's do it?
1: I, w- I wonder about the scenario of a referendum question. This would be for a boundary expansion. Yes, the boundary expansion. Would, yeah. would uh, become a, a referendum question. I don't see that unfolding, in fact, over the next couple of years because uh, I don't think the other parties, the regional government uh, and the regional growth strategy uh, stakeholders and uh, the, the province are there yet either. But in case of a, of a referendum, I think that there's actually other things that we we should consider with respect to boundary and expansion in fact uh maybe there are some adjustments and maybe it's a package that should be put before us but if we're going to go to a referendum on boundary expansion i actually would think it's unfortunate that we would focus on brome ridge and instead we should look more gen long term what actually should the district of squamish boundaries be and uh, i think it's actually not irrelevant to think about it that way uh boundary expansion referendum oh gas well that's another issue it it overlaps but actually there are two issues there aren't there
2: that leads us into and you spoke to it a little bit you 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 cannot and we cannot speak on behalf of the squamish nation there's a lot of talk and rightfully so around reconciliation Mm -hmm. and the involvement of squamish first nation in essentially really everything that goes on here locally uh from both the land ownership perspective and in the governance purview it has been years since there's been an intergovernmental accord with the District of Squamish and the Squamish Nations themselves. Right now, we don't even have an intergovernmental accord between our current elected officials and the Squamish Nation's elected officials. So I'd like to know kind of what your thoughts are on that, number one, and it's kind of a two-party question. So we also don't have a services agreement locally with the the Squamish First Nation. I don't know whether it's been a priority for council over the last four years. Uh, This is something that goes back now decades. And I'm wondering kind of what your thoughts are with respect to that, because we talk a lot about reconciliation, especially here locally with Squamish Nation. They're very visible in our community, yet these are two missing pieces of the puzzle that we don't really ever tend to even
1: put at the forefront every election season. Thank you for this uh, topic, uh, Stephen. Having grown up in Squamish... I have gone to school with and in fact grew up with the squamish nation community in my elementary school one-third of my classmates when i was in grade one two and three were from the neighboring statmas village i have in two areas had ongoing intensive relations with squamish nation community members and that's in wood forestry and culture, history culture, if you like. And I have always, every week, it it doesn't go by where I don't have conversations or meetings with members of the community. And I mention this as kind of a background to my observation that uh, we don't really make the progress we could in economic reconciliation if you like or economic development partnerships concerning forestry and wood because that is by far the largest uh, kind of uh, area of their interest they in fact first nations own 70 percent of the timbers timber rights in this corridor and not only that but the lands on which timber would be processed or handled here within the district of squamish And they have a number of young, especially younger community members, but have always had community members in the industry. So uh, the other area in culture, uh, I made an inventory of the Squamish Public Library archives, and there's 60 file folders and fawns and collections in their collections, which are housed in Burnaby, by the way, because they have no room here in Squamish for them, that are local Squamish Nation community family histories, interviews. Never been digitized, never been property cataloged. So I'm looking at these two areas for, as a community member with my community friends uh, in the Squamish Nation. Uh, we'd like to see things happen, and at the same time, at the district, what has happened has been happening over the last, I'd say, 10 years, is we have evolved, we have developed a really nice, well served, well respected, well serving, well respected platform for reconciliation. I believe we have done this. And it's been new staff coming to the community with standards and approaches that have brought insights into developing this platform for dialogue, respectful dialogue. However, now we need to put that into play to reach the practical community level of needs and opportunities, and this is the frontier. Now over time, as I look through the history of the town, there's always been informal reconciliation, active and ongoing dialogue with community leaders of the Squamish Nation. It was different in the past, it was more informal. Pat Brennan would have somebody up to his living room or vice versa, Chief Sy Baker, and so these these sorts of relationships. We need to modernize that, of course, and both communities are growing. It's easy to identify services agreement. In fact, that's simple stuff, to use our new platform of respectful dialogue, of reconciliation to address a services agreement. And at the present time, we have a services agreement underway uh, evolving for the CHM Reserve. Now, 30 years ago, we had a services agreement put in place where we were coming. That is why today that is the most populated uh, uh, community within the Squamish Nation in this valley. As we, through that service agreement, it happened differently. It happened in an informal style and let's get things done together. Uh, but I think that we miss opportunities in not taking that platform that our team has built and the previous council and using it for bringing in the practical issues and the practical people in our general community to come and put this stuff on the table for action and i see uh for example in lands here around squamish some of squamish nation has at that high level government to government province to squamish nation interest in lands and there's the lands issues over here and they're not being solved because we've got these other conversation that's isolated that's at this high provincial level and we need to use our new Platform, and I, th- and I hope it's a good one that everybody respects and, and, and thinks of values to bridge conversations. And we have in our organizational plan for this council a chapter called Building Bridges. Well, we've got the platform for dialogue, but we've got all kinds of issues that need to be inserted in that br- building, building bridges folder. And um, I think services agreement is just a—it's uh, an easy one, but there's so much more in um, planning together uh, lands, our economy that we will share. Um, the impacts that we are all facing with uh, outdoor recreation because the reserve lands are also being impacted by illegal camping and this sort of this sort of thing and uh, and culture how what kind of facilities do we need if we have there's an archaeological find in Squamish today where would it go it would go to Whistler or go to North Vancouver We don't have a facility to display these artifacts. The the Squamish Nation community doesn't. Why are our Squamish Nation local family interviews stored in a locker in Burnaby?
0: You know... He keeps talking about planning, 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 (laughs) and we need planning on this and we need planning on that. And it just seems like, can you give me a grade on what you think our planning is now? I want a grade like from A to F. Where is our planning now? Because you just seem like we need to plan this. We need to plan that. We have the planning of this. It just seems like we always need more planning. So where do you rate our planning now and where does it need to improve?
1: I'm happy sometimes and and a recent example is in our present proposed budget there is the Parks and Recreation Master Plan version 3. We had one many years ago and we had one 10 years ago, and now we're gonna have another one. And it was a bit of a pleasant surprise for me because I didn't know that staff had been preparing to put this to us, that we need to make a new plan. So I think that we do have an excellent staff apparatus and leadership in the district staff to recognize needs, but not in all areas. I think sometimes, and we've referred earlier in the conversation to the arts, cultural, and heritage strategy where it was there was some notion because maybe there wasn't an they didn't anticipate political you know uh, support for it that we're going to postpone planning for seven to ten years so I think it's a mixed picture but even in that area we have our district planning director who identified on his own within their department on their own that we did need heritage planning even though the council didn't prioritize it. So that we have, the the planning is a dialogue, the identifying what needs to be done will be a dialogue between the elected and the staff. And I think we probably could do more to ask ourselves, what are we missing? But otherwise, we we may be stumbling in some areas, but I think that the political signals need to be given. It's true. And the staff receiving them. But I think the potential to do much better job is actually very apparent It's to me. I think the will and the the apparatus and, and the the people and the motivation at staff, I think, is there. I see our planning getting better and better. And the, the master plans that we have introduced for our infrastructure, uh, the strategy documents, they do get better and better over time. We do have gaps. And sometimes we're not keeping up. And we should use, if there's a slowdown here in the coming time in our, realista- our residential development uh, picture, uh, this is a time to take advantage to do more planning work. It doesn't end, uh, but we need to identify what, what those areas are. And perhaps during the last recession, we didn't take proper good advantage of that. One example, 2008, Marine Strategy proposed, the Council of the Day said, nah, we can wait. Well, the big recession was already on us at that time. That would have been the opportunity to do it
0: because we're talking about a lot of planning projects you brought up you know in this interview a lot of planning projects that needs to be done and then i'm just thinking about where's the space for all of this so you brought up the cultural planning that we need to do especially for the reconciliation we need a cultural hub for a stage for rehearsals and we need something for the wind society the windsurfer society because we did have the world championships here and not quite happening anymore so i mean there's lots of plans lots of good plans to focus on and i just think about where is this going to fit and how is this going to is this all within your next purview
1: you mentioned the wind sports uh, spit that leads me to think that one aspect of community planning that we're missing is citizens getting together around the table and on our waterfront in the estuary which is not just the wildlife management area but includes the Blind Channel we had the estuary management committee that hasn't met in several years in the old days right up into the 80s we have a we had a recreation commission so that the different uh, amateur sport, uh, youth sport uh, representatives got together and were appointed to a commission. And they did planning for recreation facilities and programmings that what they saw had to evolve. And then they would come to the district and say, this is what we've identified. So those were citizens and stakeholders uh, getting together. And perhaps we have gone away from those platforms and in the areas of environment and waterfront land use planning, and in recreation, we could maybe revisit some of those structures that we had that take the pressure off, uh, including political pressure, off the council and the district, and, and let people that are stakeholders in these sectors take control of identifying needs and solutions. So you asked about the planning and a grade. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. the planning of great. So my
2: question is going to be the second part of that. What kind of a grade do you give with respect to the execution on those plans?
1: Do you have particular plans in mind? I just, what, there might be a kind of a diversity of uh, examples that. For me, I mean, you, you,
2: again, you have
1: spoken a lot today, Eric,
2: to the planning and planning and planning and mm-hmm. planning. But at some point in time, the rubber's got to hit the road. Mm-hmm. We've got to put some of these plans in action. I have always felt that prior councils have done a great job with respect to specific consultations for certain things, whether it was the recreational master plan, whether it was the facilities master plan too as well. And we're starting to see some of that become enacted upon now, whether it's the new fire hall, the new water treatment plant. I've campaigned with and against you, Mr. Anderson, (laughs) in previous years, that one of your laments was that these plans were being shelved and collecting dust and nothing was being enacted upon. So my question for you is, if we are doing those plans and we're completing these plans and we're getting the consultations, we're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars on a year to create these plans and assist us in this planning, are we making progress?
1: Yes. One aspect, just to treat briefly about what I've learned about the importance of plans is I put up my hand and say Uh, we need to look at we might look at this in this situation in this negotiation with the developer and the planning department will say well Councillor Anderson we didn't put that in the plan that's not in the plan we can't refer to it so we can't do that because it needed to be in the plan we have to have a place to where it is referenced And so I've learned and maybe that's why I've harped on planning a bit because and how important they are strategy documents and plans give you a script and if it's not in the script well, that's more difficult to bring forward, including in negotiations with developers. Now, planning, whether, whether they just sit on the shelf, man, there's such good examples of that. About 1980, I hitchhiked home from Squamish to, from university and uh, I was sitting there at Horseshoe Bay, all excited to attend the <laughs> inaugural meeting of the Community Future Society. And there was Dr. Kindry and the, the founder uh, of the Mr. Uh, of the, of the Mountain FM radio station. They were the two people behind that. And what was their first project? Let's do a tourism master plan study. The future of Squamish tourism, what it needs, how we can support it, the infrastructure it needs, new product. Let's do it. Well, since that time, I'll bet there's been 14 tourism studies, all plans with some degree of involvement from the municipality Varying degrees, and another one, an an example of a of a plan that a, a plan document that we've never realized is the Parks and Recreation Master Plan. It strikes me the same way. They were wish lists, and unlike the ones that deal with the bread and butter of uh, streets and sidewalks and and how tall the buildings are going to be um, that the planning department undertakes there are other categories of plans that are notorious for how we just put them on the shelf another example is downtown planning we got all excited about a new plan for and downtown first was the slogan in the early 2000s and especially during that first new directions regime uh, that our Uh, my predecessor Ted Pryor was a part of big emphasis on a plan well we have probably now five or six downtown uh, neighborhood plan drafts or concept plans they all have the wildest ideas but also wonderful ideas that we've missed we just don't haven't returned to them. You can find them on the website, but they're not in a category of being something that anybody feels obliged to follow. So maybe there, why is there this difference um, in community plans? And I would say it's something that I, I've talked about in some of my campaign talks. Let's respect volunteers when they step forward to help us in planning processes. It's a waste of their time to have them sit down and work with us or work together in a group to produce a plan and then put it on the shelf so I think that it's an issue that you touched on an issue that is a, is one that is serious in that we put a lot of energy into these community plans or sector plans that um, aren't going to it's, it's disrespectful for the people investing their time in them I think you've actually hit on an important issue is when we're going to undertake a plan for a sector or for the community at large we need to respect its process participants and outcomes and maybe if we do so we'll improve the quality of those plans so they can be practical for implementing and following in time
0: all right so this is the point where where you can talk about the main concerns you have this election and the platform you're running on and you can sort of dive into you know your your, i don't want to call it sales pitch but give us your spiel give us
1: your spiel Growth is the topic of this election, I believe, and in that, I'd like to take opportunity to draw that link between economic development and jobs and housing growth. There's various symptoms of imbalance here, and when we talk about symptoms of growth, in fact, I think often we we are referring to certain imbalances. I will never stop reminding people that we shouldn't be a bedroom community. It's not sustainable. The province as a whole now is really becoming so reliant on selling real estate to people from outside. That's not sustainable. It's it's out of balance. So I think we must continue to be focused on high-wage job sectors job sectors that that are export industries that bring new dollars into Squamish. One of them is tourism, which I think can be further developed and in areas that aren't going to be bringing, uh, well, we need the overnight stays, that's the key thing. We have to be mindful of the pressures that tourism is bringing, but I think that we can develop that sector. I also think that we are well-placed with our First Nations partners in this region to develop manufacturing. And that manufacturing, why shouldn't we be exporters of affordable housing solutions? The way housing industry is going worldwide is prefab and off-site construction, especially in urban areas. Why can't we develop that sector? So, But I think it's important to develop local high-wage job sectors. Some of them that are coming to us easy are in the more high-tech, home-based, but we can't rely on that for a tax base. We need to tax base we in, in Squamish we are over well over 60% in our dependence on re- revenue from residential taxation. The average for BC is about 48. We don't have the medium to large industry sectors or business tax base that we used to have and that we in fact miss whether or not people miss the smokestacks but we don't want those returning but we do need a healthier balance and I guess if no one else is going to talk about it I want to talk about that and that's what I want to emphasize is balance between housing and jobs balance in focus in our growth management dialogue on other drivers like our economy
0: Good thing you brought that up because I should have brought that up. Is diversification of the economy, mainly because the main income for the district is our property taxes, which have been you know, they've been going up. And I think one of the biggest employers or one of the biggest taxpayers in Swamish is Walmart of all places. It's Walmart, and I don't know if LNG is paying taxes yet, but. I mean, you're right. I mean, there should be a development. Now, where do we make this development? Do we get those lands back from BC lands, um, uh, BC rail lands, the yards over there? Or th- this is the question. It's always like, we need to do this, we need to do this. And with your other pet projects, it's it's
1: all about space, right? Where do you find the space to make these initiatives? Our dialogue, our reconciliation, emphasis with the Squammer Station, I think must include lands, land use planning for our economy. Because the Squamish nation owns, through various grant programs over the last couple of decades, a very substantial portion of our potential employment lands. They're just north of us here in Brackendale, they're in the Cheekai Fan area, they're on the waterfront and elsewhere. In fact, they are such a dominant presence in potential employment land ownership. We must really get this dialogue started. So there's a number of companies here in Squamish that want to expand. They ask about some of these lands and some of them are constrained by lack of servicing or they're in a terrain hazard we don't connect the dots to look at the future needs there. For example, I was in conversation with our engineering department about a new water pipe that has to go through XYZ area to serve a residential area. And uh, you know, you're know you traversing all this in future employment land. Have you given some thought to the scale of a pipe we should put in there? In fact, uh, it, it was acknowledged that it should be done. And so we need to address our long-term land and infrastructure asset for, the, for our economy 50 hundred years from now, because we're not going to move mountains aside. And um, wood fiber is an important part of this, because we need to look beyond wood fiber LNG and realize that we have a land piece over there on the waterfront, deep sea vessel access. It will never be used for housing because it's too polluted. It doesn't need a road it doesn't have one it doesn't need sewer water any servicing security either really i mean i mean these kinds of rcmp costs uh, are unique to ellen wood fiberology but they won't be for anything else that might go there we should be thinking long term and that is a gift to squamish we must uh, realize that that site and the vision of the Pat Brennan and company, who decided to grab wood fiber for, I mean, with put it in municipal boundaries, it is a gift because it's all gravy and it's important gravy. And uh, as a tax uh, potential tax contributor, um, it, it's enormous for the long term. Mr. Fryer, did I forget anything? Oh, Crumpet Wood
2: uh, Environment locally, there is a lot of different causes. One of those being the Crumpet Woods lands. Uh, The other would be, obviously, the waterfront. The other would be the LNG.
1: So environment and concern about the environment, it came out of the 60s and 70s. That generation woke up to the terms like ecology, and that happened here too. And the people that were part of that are still around. Uh, The founders of the first environmental groups here in Squamish are still with us and still active in that way. And I reflect on this because... They're still around, and what do they have to say today? And what are they involved with? Well, I think of my colleagues in the Squamish Streamkeepers herring recovery program, these people in their 70s and early 80s. They've been concerned about, and me along with them, is, well, practically, what can wood fiber do and what they, should they avoid to protect herring? And I think we're doing a good job. And we've we've alerted them uh, early on, and they've they've spent uh, you know 12, 14, maybe more million dollars in cleaning up their site, and so from a practical, experienced, local naturalist environmental perspective, uh, it, the perspective on wood fiber LNG may be different than what the general public might expect or suppose, and it's more of an experienced, hands-on view of how these things work fish habitat spawning seasons and all this sort of stuff and habitat being degraded and how we can bring it back with through artificial means and so on which herring recovery program has been doing i'll turn now to the example of where we should be building housing up in the hillsides at crumpet woods or on the lot 509 510 the chima lands or down the valley bottom well i remember and i think of these this older generation a little bit older than me of of naturalists and environmentalists and i came across one such person in a Garibaldi. Estates Neighborhood Planning Forum meeting, and she came forward and she has a, a property in the VLA. In fact, and she tried to explain to the planning department representatives and others in the audience that she thinks that the bird life is much more important down here than it is up on North Crumpet. And this is a simple reason. Valley-bottom habitat is qualitatively different, qualitatively much more important. And this is where, to the experienced naturalist, they will point these things out. Now, we do have people concerned about the environment that are horrified at these hillside areas of second growth, burnt-over forests. Sometimes these areas have been burnt over three, four times and in big catastrophically but to the experienced person and we will all learn as we from our mistakes and hopefully not hard lessons all the time that we should be uh, looking at the priorities and making sure that we identify what is the more valuable habitats and the top uh, low-hanging fruit of making improvements for the natural environment and they may not be where we expect and i think that sometimes you need to grow here as an observer, and we need to to be mindful that there there is a, a a degree of experience that's built up in how we can do a better job, and those people might be saying things that some us might not expect about projects like wood fiber and where we should be building housing up on the hillsides.
0: Well. I think uh, we kind of wrapped it up and you've you've got your say unless you want to add something else. Otherwise, uh, I would just thank you very much. I am (laughs) such a
1: tech nerd and incompetent (laughs) that I I have no idea how to set up a website. I had someone do it for me in the last campaign and I didn't figure out how to, you know. And then now I got two Facebook pages, my Eric Anderson profile and my Eric Anderson from Squamish. And I can't figure out how to get one or the other hooked up to the campaign dialogue page. So I'm terrible at this, but you'll find me at either. I'm Eric Anderson on Facebook, Eric on Instagram, and I'm Eric Anderson for Squamish on facebook again
0: you you are very active though i've seen you on the, the squamish uh election 22 page and you're very active at answering questions so you can find them there that, that that group as well and uh thank you very much for joining us today eric and good luck in the election my pleasure
1: gentlemen thank you for the opportunity
0: this is the sea to sky podcast if you have a comment or story ideas please check out our website at sea to sky podcast.com or on facebook and twitter at sea to sky podcast Thank you for clicking us on.